That's what I was saying. You don't have to. No. See, you're scaring people by saying, got to do this plan. You got to have a plan. I didn't say you have to. I said most people are doing that. Right. But at some point, you just say, do it. I think you just need to take a leap of faith. Yeah, I agree. Do it and do the best you can do. Stop trying to tell me I disagree with you when I agree with you. Well, okay. (laughs) You're saying the same thing, Jim. Well, yeah. (laughs) It's because he's grouchy. He didn't get his nap. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Goldner, and I'm joined by two fully autonomous co-hosts, Jason Zanger and Jim Carr. Well, sometimes I tell him what to do. Oh, so I guess he's partial. He's not fully autonomous. Yeah. He's semi-autonomous. I'm telling you guys right now, don't mess with me today. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> he's been extra grouchy. I'm not in the best of frame. I'm not scared. Oh, yes, you are. I saw the look on your face After being in this industry for (laughs) three or four decades, Jim's finally started to actually work. And so now he's crabby because he's working hard all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good thing there's no cameras. Now he's actually mad. (laughs) Yeah. I know this is a podcast, so you can hear it. But if you could see the smoke coming out of Jim's ears, it would would impact you. (laughs) (laughs) He's been out on lunch for four decades, and he's finally... (laughs) Okay, guys. I said, yeah. All right. Let's cool it down a little bit. Yeah. I think it's probably the coldest day we've ever recorded together. No, it's cold in this room. It's cold in this room. It was negative 20 degrees. I woke up in the middle of the night. And this is Rockford. We're in Chicago right now. But I woke up in the middle of the night and it was negative 20 degrees. Yeah, it's really cold. We're at MX- Without the windshield? Just without the windshield. What? Uh, two days oh ago. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, it was. I guess it was that cold. It's crazy. I'll be in Texas traveling next week. Yeah. I'm going to see our buddy Titan Gilroy. But holy cow, I cannot wait to get out of this climate right now. It yeah. sucks. I know. I laid on the couch the other night because I couldn't sleep in bed. So I went down and I, all I could do is hear that furnace. I don't think it ever shut off. Yeah, I know. You know, that constant hum. And I could just see the natural gas just, you know, and my bill flying through the roof. (laughs) Just flying out the window. So, yeah, Nick, where are we right now? We are in Goose Island, Chicago at a place called MXD. Yeah, Goose Island's a neighborhood. And we're at the Manufacturing Times Design. Yeah, that's MXD, Manufacturing Times Design. I think that's what it stands for. I I do, too. It's kind of confusing. We just call it MXD. It's a really cool place. Formerly known as... D-M-D-I-I. Okay. The Digital Manufacturing Design Innovation Institute. Oh, wow. That's Nick pretty good to remember that. Remember, yeah, yeah. yeah, we got, we're Wait, surrounded by I've some got machine a gold tools star and everything here. that I'll oh, get well, out of my you. bag thank you. and put it on your forehead. Yeah. All right. So we usually talk a little bit about what we've been doing in our lives. We've been doing this thing where we talk about the books Jason reads, the music Jim listens to, and then I like to watch a lot of sports. So Yeah, you do. I will start. The sports last weekend was the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, mm-hmm. and it was probably the best divisional round ever. Oh, oh, oh. And Between the, the 49ers and... The Packers and the 49ers. Yeah. All four games were awesome. I know. But the best game was Chiefs and Bills. Oh, it I heard about un- that game. The last two minutes of that game yeah. was absolutely unbelievable. Well, you know what was funny? I was in Wisconsin on Saturday skiing, right? Yeah. And we go in for lunch, you know, in the bar, right? And yeah, I'm yeah. like... Everyone's got the Packers jersey. Yeah, why aren't they skiing? I, I well, I knew something happened because I don't, I don't follow. I didn't know. Yeah, but sure enough, I googled it right then and there, and I, that was the game, and uh-huh. they lost. 
right to at the Robbie end. Gold. Yeah, the Bears kicker. The, a Bears kicker in the last minute for a field goal. Yeah, that's ironic. Yeah, I know. And it was who devastating to for live them. in Inverness. Mm. So wild. Yeah. Are you friends with him? I know where he lives, but I'm not friends with him, no. He probably knows who you are, though, right? He probably does. Uh, yes. He's a yeah. loyal listener. Loyal, a celebrity podcaster. Yeah, he's yes. very happy that he yeah. can be neighbors with Jim Carr. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Jason, what have you been reading lately, dude? The book that I'm reading right now, I'm actually reading a really long and really good fiction book called The Name of the Wind, which I think I mentioned this on the show before. But actually, some of the other books, I kind of weave other books into like when I'm reading because I don't I get a little bored after reading for a little while. I'm starting to read some books on just like integrating my faith into my work. Okay, um, cool. So yeah, interesting. A couple different books like that. Yeah, so. yeah, great. Musica, musica. Yeah. Hmm. Because every time I go, yeah, to car, you've got music videos on your TVs. You yeah, got like, well, you, yeah. I feel like I'm shopping at like some trendy retail store. Yeah. Well, you're like J Crew, or you know, <laughs> you're at a progressive aerospace machine shop. Yeah, I guess so. And we're just trying They're progressive to... because they play music. Yes, we are. And we have dogs, too. So if you're looking for a career at a place that plays music... Yes. Jim Carr is hiring. <laughs> or you want to work for somebody that's a little different and yeah. have an elevated environment that you want Ele- to work an in. elevator music. An elevator music in an elevated <laughs> environment. That should be your tagline. Okay, yeah. so Jim's been listening to elevator music. Yes. Let's move on to manufacturing news. <laughs> should we? Yes, we should. Okay, so... My news is the 2022 Labor and Employment Outlook for Manufacturers. It's really pretty interesting. So I'm just going to kind of summarize. But this week... There's going to be a recession. You're so (laughs) negative all the time. Jim's Jim's got a recession obsession. We've talked about this before. All right. We're in a crazy labor climate. So it just talks about some of the things that are changing. The article starts, This week, we continue our 2022 Outlook series with a focus on labor and employment. It goes without saying that over the last two years, the COVID-19 pandemic has revealed certain weaknesses and opportunities in the economy and in our workplaces. In response, federal, state, and local governments have passed a number of laws and regulations addressing issues such as vaccination, workplace safety, paid leave, paid transparency, and other laws, and several legislative trends have emerged. The following are a few of the issues and trends that may impact manufacturers in 2022. So... Jim, you said you were done. I'm done with COVID and vaccine and masks. I think that that is a lot of people are done. I'm done. And I'm pretty liberal with all this stuff. I don't care who's vaxxed or not. If you look at like somebody like Bill Maher, who's very left-leaning, yeah. and he's talking about how done he is, I mean, yeah. people are done. I'm like done. People are done, tired of talking about it. People are tired of the rules. Even today, like we stayed overnight downtown at the hotel. Oh my God, the hotel experience is so diluted lately because you can't do anything. There's not, the restaurant's not open. You got to pick up your own food. I mean, it's a mess. Well, so here's another story. So I just recently started playing tennis again. I used to play really competitively mm -hmm. when I was younger and I just picked it up again. So I had been playing with like a racket that I originally bought in like 1995. So I was like, okay, time to start, time to upgrade my racket. Well, Back in the day, you would demo a racket before you bought it so that you were purchasing one that you liked because yeah, they're right. all very different. And so like I asked the guy about it because there's like a store like right near my house and he's like, oh, no, we don't do demos anymore. I'm like, how come? That was 26 years ago. Oh No, because of COVID. 
They don't do demo rackets anymore because of COVID. So it's like it's become like an excuse to offer a lower level of service. Like exactly. you said, Jim. I, I mean, totally, like, you know, yeah, it's totally just like we need to get past this as an excuse. Like time to adjust. This is the way things are right now. No more excuses for your bad service. Yeah. Even like going to restaurants, you know, I want to look at people in the face and I want to smile at them and see them smile back. I, I feel mean, worse for the kids who have to like go to school with masks on and they don't get to like kind of develop those skills. It's very sad. Nationallawreview.com, Labor and Employment Outlook. If you really want the deep dive, you can go find it there. It just talks about the new COVID-19 vaccination rules. And these things are all important, but I just don't want to talk about it the whole podcast right now because I have an awesome guest. So the COVID-19 vaccination rules paid family and medical leave changes, wage disclosure laws, the great resignation, and new union organizing. So I agree with all those. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and you can learn about it in that article once again. What is the news source? It is nationallawreview.com. Thank you. Well, what do you agree with, that these are topics, or these are all going to be signs of things that we're going to be seeing and living with in 2022 in the labor force? Yeah, in the labor force. I think, you know, personally, and we could talk about this more in depth in the future, I think that the great resignation, as they talk about it, is like a really good motivation to make your company better. Jason, I agree that those are topics too. Yeah. All right, moving on. (laughs) All right, we're going to introduce a guest who's a good friend of mine. But before we do, I have to tell a story about one time when I went skiing with this person in Austria. Can you stop calling him this person? I'm calling him this person until the introduction. Oh, okay. You know, that's how it works. Walter Cronkite doesn't introduce the person until after the bio. All right, go ahead, Walter. (laughs) Okay. So... We're in Austria. It's <laughs> funny you even know him, okay. being the millennial that you are. So we're in Austria. We're in the Alps skiing. Yeah. Neither of us are experts. He's a snowboarder. I'm a skier. And we kind of go off the beaten path, which we regretted pretty much right <laughs> I after bet we you did. did. <laughs> and so we're, we're flying down the hill. Yeah. And I just collapsed. I mean, way too much speed. I couldn't yeah. carve anymore. And I just couldn't collapsed control. into this cloud of snow. Yeah. And then now it kind of goes up again. So if you don't have enough momentum, now you have to like hike yourself oh. <laughs> up, like like walking sideways like a crab. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing that. And then I take a step kind of off the skied on area. I mean, and the I, groomed run? Yes. Okay. And one step and I'm like up to my chest in powder. Oh, I thought so you, you were going to say you, you went down, down the mountain. Because the air up there is so thin. Yeah. I couldn't breathe. Like I thought I was going to pass out. And I'm sitting there like up to my armpits and there's all these like really proficient Austrian skiers going by. And, and they I didn't d- care. They didn't I, try to save you. They're all just looking at me like, who's this idiot? And so, so I say in like broken German, help. Alles gut. I am expert. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just started laughing. And then finally, this, our guest dragged me out and uh, saved my life. Ah, that's sweet. So let's introduce him. Should we? Let's do it. Who is this guy? Our guest is the vice president of sales for tooling and work holding at Shunk. He's got 10 years experience in the metalworking industry. Wow. Grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he obtained his Bachelor of Science degree in physics from NC State. While finishing his degree, he started working as a design engineer at a small company specializing in magnetic work holding. Okay. For the next four years, the owner and magnetic expert was his mentor, and he learned every aspect of the business from sales and marketing to managing cash flow, reading a balance sheet. In 2012, the business came to an unexpected end. So Michael joined Shunk as a sales support engineer to apply his magnetic workholding expertise. Using the comprehensive product line Shunk provides, 
the opportunity to travel the country and visit manufacturing facilities across several industries provided him with a unique insight into the value of selecting the right tooling and workholding. Now responsible to help manufacturers solve problems and improve productivity, he's an active member of the AMT, where he serves on the Committee for Advanced Workholding Technology. He's also a member of the ASME BTH1 Committee. Wait, what was that acronym again? ASME BTH1 Committee. Wow. Where he serves as a design expert for below-the-hook magnetic lifting devices. Wow. Yep. Welcome to the show. This guy is named Michael Gantz. Hey, welcome, Michael. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. And you win the award for the longest introduction on making chips. Well, I was thinking the same as we're going. (laughs) I I think I text him like, hey, send me something I can read in 20, 30 seconds. I was like, or, you know, 20, 30 minutes. I was going to put Jim down for a nap (laughs) in the middle of it. I was thinking about getting a coffee. He's got to take his naps or he gets even more grumpy. I think I crossed some of those things out. Welcome to the show, Michael. We're we're happy to have you. And just, I'm really interested in learning some more about work holding and just some of the expertise that you have. So it's great to have you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So one of the things that we talk about like quite extensively on making chips is just how hard it is to hire people. Like we as making chips, we're trying to equip and inspire the metalworking nation to develop their companies to be a better workplace. But at some point, so that they can hire a higher level of machinists or whoever else that they're they're looking for and really be attractive as a great place to work. But at some point, it's just really hard to find people. Have you seen that labor shortage as really accelerating automation and specifically machine tending and how you use that in the work holding process? Yeah, for sure. Actually, we were just talking about this at Shunk just the other day even. And my short answer to you actually too is, I think so. Okay. I think it's increasing automation. I think that's ultimately the solution. I think you have to do that. I just can't figure out if everyone is recognizing that, that that is the way out. And it is helping a lot. I see a lot of automation and automated machine tending in general. And I think there's a correlation. I think it's clicking. I'm not quite sure if how much it really is clicking. Okay, so you're seeing a lot of shops out there that just really haven't delved into automation like they should. Yeah. And the ones who are doing it, there are a lot who are really getting it. And those are the people who are ultimately being very successful. Right. Um, and well, I, but, You have to be. If you don't embrace that and get going in some capacity, you're going to be left behind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure, Michael, I'm sure that there's a lot of shops out there, old school shops that just don't want to put the time in to change. The hardest thing in business that I've witnessed is many, many, many people just don't want to put the effort into change. Well, Jim, it requires a lot of planning in order to figure out how do I get this robotic no, it to really turn key and do it. Well, risk too, but you have to plan the pro. Like most people want to sit down you and say, what? how do we plan this out? So my last like integration customer that didn't have robotics, finally, he just said, screw it. I'm just going to buy one and figure it out. Well, that's what I was saying. You don't have to. No. See, you're scaring people by saying, got to do this plan. You got to no, no, have no. a plan. I didn't say you have to. I said, most people are doing that. Right. But I at some point you just say, do it. I think you just need to take a leap of faith. Yeah, I agree. Do it. And do the best you can do. Stop trying to tell me I disagree with you when I agree with you. Well, okay. <laughs> You're saying the same thing, Jim. Well, yeah, I am. Uh, it's because he's grouchy. He didn't get his nap. <laughs> but like, it, it does seem like barriers to entry for implementing automation are lower, right? It's not quite as expensive. There's a lot of no-code or low-code solutions. So why do you think that there's still a 
perception that it's too risky, as Jim said, or too complex to take that leap. Actually, I'd piggyback kind of what you're saying, Jim, is I think it's the status quo. It's people kind of afraid to get off the status quo. We all get comfortable in what we're doing and how we do it. And it's really just kind of just taking that leap and just doing it. And the good thing is, to your point, you see a lot of people and a lot of solution providers like Shunk, like integrators like AME, right, who are bringing these things together and providing not just components or not just code. People are bringing more parts of the solution together to make it easier to get into it. For example, I see a time when every single machine tool will come with some sort of automated machine. Oh, totally. for sure. Mm-hmm. Right? They're selling them now. Like It's already happening now. Yeah, Every yeah. machine is coming with a robot. Yeah. But that's what's happening. Yeah. Well, to a certain point, like speaking of the status quo, a lot of people are not as progressive in their like, okay, I need to continually improve my shop. There's a lot of people that'll just sit back and be like, well, if there's no problem, there's no problem until they get their world rocked and they have some legacy job that they've been doing for a long time and all of a sudden they lose it. Sure. And they're like, go back to the customer. Like, how did I lose this? Well, somebody came back and they had a better solution and they were able to do it cheaper. Yeah, because they run their business with a spreadsheet. They're like, oh, look, we're making money. We're okay. So why change? So you don't make those changes until you get like slapped in the face. That's why you need to just delve into it. Figure it out. We keep saying status quo. And I remember it was one of your sales guys at Shunk. I was asking, you know, who do you think your biggest competitor is? Because there's a lot of different tool holder companies, a lot of different vice companies. And he said the status quo. Yeah. You know, because people just don't want to commit. Well, there's such an abundance of manufacturing going out there that, you know, like (laughs) that is a great answer. Yeah. And then we also talked a lot about, okay, so the barriers to entry are being lowered. And Michael's point, you know, it's, it's, being lowered because of the collaboration. You know, it's easier to connect your tooling company with your robotics company, with your design and build company who's designing and building the fixture, with the components OEM. And the more that these different players partner up, the easier it is for the end customer, a shop like Jim's, to get the desired result. But if Jim has to call whoever his robotics company is and get the handoff done correctly to his vice company and then the machine tool and everything else... It puts all the risk and burden on you. It's a daunting task, I will tell you. Yeah, because well, and, and you're doing some of that, right? It's on hold. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, I see it exactly like that, too. And there's a lot of different solutions coming out there. But you can look at it. There's people who are offering different levels of solutions. You have some people who are offering complete turnkey solutions. So you can just go to, go to them and they fully integrate whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Or you can pull pieces of that solution. You can have someone just do your programming for you. Well, you can also hire an integrator to take care of everything, right? That yeah. Was, that yeah. Was yeah. So the first, first case, yeah. like hire yeah. an integrator to yeah. basically do everything. And actually, the way I was thinking about it, it's almost like having a general contractor. You can hire a general contractor to do everything, bring everyone together. Yep. Or you can be the general contractor yourself and choose what you want to do or choose what you outsource. Perfect analogy. Or you can just Perfect. do everything on your own. Yep. And I think it's kind of more of those top two that are making it a lot easier to get into it and becoming more common yep. these There's days. even some unique business models out there. I saw one where they will take the parts and the processes that you're going through and they will turnkey and rent you by the hour some kind of like robotic automation solution. So there's a lot of unique... Automation as a service. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of unique solutions out there and ways to go about it. Well, let's get into the weeds. You know, you mentioned on your last episode, Jason, we're going to get more technical. So we're going to get really technical for a minute about work holding and automation. And the way I see it, we're doing a lot of integrations at... As the work holding is concerned. So we're not like a full integrator for your whole machine and everything else, but... You're talking about AME. Yeah, what we do at okay. my company, right? Okay. So so we'll work with our partners at Shunk 
and a shop like car and we'll, we'll do the full work holding automation. Um, <laughs> off. I, I was, what was I doing? I don't know. I just liked how you were holding, I was holding your microphone. I was holding my microphone like I was drinking tea with my pinky up. And he, he, called me, he called me on it. Oh, gosh. Okay. So we don't do this live. I need to laugh a little. But what I see is there's kind of two ways to do machine tending, automated machine tending from a work holding perspective. What are those two ways, Nick? You either have the robot grab the workpiece, like the raw stock material. The robot grabs the workpiece. <laughs> Okay, that's number one. Yeah, this is good. He I, sounds like he's making fun of you. No, he's like a narrator. Oh, well, he thinks But he I'm is. already narrating, so yeah. now he's just like an annoying parrot. Okay, so two things. Either the robot grabs... <laughs> no, he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, the robot grabs the workpiece, right? You got your block of stock material. Your aluminum one and a half by four by six. Yeah, whatever. And, yeah. It, and it brings it into the machine, right. and it drops it into an a vice. automatic vice. Yes, and the vice typically automatically, a hydraulic vice. Or pneumatic sometimes, but yeah, typically hydraulic. And it clamps the workpiece. Yes. Okay. Or or your robot grabs a vice that's already pre-clamped with the stock material clamped, and it moves the vice in and locates the vice into the machine and locks it down there. So you run into this all the time, Michael. These kind of two different scenarios. How should kind of like presetting your tooling too? Yeah, and yeah, and so how should a manufacturing leader think about those two options, and what are the pros and cons of each, and what are your thoughts there? I like the framework. I have a little bit different framework myself, but sure. yeah, we'll work ahead. with this. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I want to hear it. No, actually, so that's it's exactly right. So you have, on one end of the spectrum, you have automated machine tending where you're loading the part into the machine with the robot. Okay, sure. That's the basic. That's what most people that's do. That's what most Not people think about. And what, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. I'm just saying most people do it that way, Jim. That's, I'd say most you know, people are, it's what people are most familiar with. Yeah, it's most prevalent. It's what most people are doing. Yeah. And then you also have, where you're talking about the robot loading, the pallet into the machine. I actually just think of that more generically rather than just the robot loading it, just a pallet storage system. Sure, okay. So you can have automated machine tending where you have the robot loading the workpiece into the machine. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have a pallet storage system because that can also get quite diverse in how you achieve that. You could have a robot loading the pallet or you could have a full-on FMS system, a flexible manufacturing system that some machine tool OEMs provide it with their brand. They have a system for right, that. Right, like, that's um, what That's a, what we have, that, where we make system. all our tombstones. Yeah, exactly. We have 25 pallets and it just shuttles in the cast. Yeah, and that's direct from Toyota. Right? right, yeah, exactly. And then you can also, like Fastums does a great job building those cells kind of third party too. And what's interesting about, so that's, so if you take, you've got automated machine tending, pallet storage, and then FMS. FMS is actually one step further beyond pallet storage because what they're doing sometimes is integrating complete... They're bringing the material even. So it's a, so you can have... That's what we have in our production in Germany. So in our few plants, we have these FMS systems. Oh, that's interesting. And what does FMS stand for again? Flexible Manufacturing System. Okay. And what it is, is we'll have about three to 500, just in one cell, we've got five machines connected to one cell. Wow. Mm. It's awesome. He took me through a tour. <clears> and they're just all they're that. feeding material from like a centralized location. Exactly. You have wow. a rack where it's just like five stories or, okay, so th like three building stories high and there's about five different rows of storage and then there's about three or 500 storage locations and 200 of those locations, let's say, are just for storing material, raw material. And another hundred of those locations having tombstones and work holding devices on there. And what the system does is it tells, you say you're running this job, it kind of queues up all the jobs and loads them into the machine. 
well, you say you want to run this job, and it brings both the material and the work holding out to the person who's operating that cell. And so, you know, one person can be running that cell, and it's... Uh, so, so it brings basically all of the supplies that he needs to run that operation right in front of him. It's like a kit, and he's ready to... Yeah, it's, ready the to whole job's kitted up. It comes with a, you know, a setup sheet and everything. So the guy is there kind of setting the job up, and then it goes back into the storage cell, mm-hmm. and then it comes to the machine to run. And is so, that only really useful in like a high-production large quantity environment. Yeah, thanks. So that kind of getting back to the the spectrum that you've got there of automated machine tending, loading the vice or loading the chuck and then pallet storage, the way I like to think about that. So that's a flexible manufacturing system and that's a really great way to do things. We can talk more about it if you want, but I just bring it back in a more simple way. You have pallet storage and you have loading the part. Loading the part's going to be a little bit more geared towards having uh, higher production, yeah, higher part, lower run times. Yeah, lower run times, higher quantities, right. you know, running more parts in a given... And typically small because your payload is a big thing, right? The robot can only lift so much versus a pallet system. Yep. Yeah. It's a lot different. Agreed. And usually the parts are not as complex in the way that, that you're doing it. The other thing that that lends itself to is the parts aren't as complex. That's the other reason sometimes pallet storage is nice is because you may have intricate fixturing involved Mm -hmm. and it takes more time to set up that part. And a lot of time, and that's, I think, aerospace. Or like castings and stuff like that. It's sometimes harder with those, with the first. Yeah, so with castings, for sure, I think it just depends on the complexity of what you're trying to do. One kind of great parallel or analogy that I like to think about, and actually we can take the high production even further and think about automotive, right? Those are even, not even rope, automotive is the highest production, you know, Right, right. And with automotive, they're not even using robots. They just have transfer lines where that's like, so you have to think about, so they have transfer lines that are completely dedicated to taking a casting of an engine housing all the way from casting to finished part. And what I think about is actually how much kind of dedication you have to put into making that cell. The more quantity and the more complexity you have together, the more commitment you can make to that automation. It's important to be lean. There's a concept of lean automation which I'd encourage, I'm no expert, but this idea that I'm trying to capture here is lean automation. You can just Google lean automation and uh, read a little about it. It's really interesting. So when you're talking about this, you know, like you said, I'm thinking in my head, okay, Ford, BMW in Germany. And I'm thinking like, you know, the big OEMs are doing these things. And that's great. They've got like a billion dollar budget to put together automation. Sure. But when I think about, say, like a small shop, somebody like Jim Shop, or just most of the people that listen to making chips, they want to get into it and they don't have that type of a budget. But I still feel like robotics really, the barrier to entry has really fallen. It has. Is that true? Like, can they still do it at like a real For sure. low price point? Yeah. I was beginning to say before, like all of my integration clients, uh, my tooling integration clients, except for one, have really dived into automation and robotics and everything. And the last guy, finally, he found a used robot and he was like, I'm just going to buy it. It's $50,000. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to get it going and just figure this thing out as we go along. Do people need to get past that whole perception of like, you know, complexity and expensiveness and just jump into it like this gentleman did? Yeah, there's a lot of options there. There's a lot of things that have made that easier. I mean, particularly with the term we're getting more familiar with collaborative robots, cobots, right? Right. And that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, mostly. the thing about those is, is not that it's 
necessarily collaborative. It's actually, well, they are, but that's not the key. That's well, they not, say it's collaborative it's, with people. It's is, easy to use. Yeah. That's the thing. You get those robots and they have an iPad with a really easy to use interface and now you can program a robot. I programmed one. If I can do it. It's yeah. so easy. No, I feel the same way. I yeah. programmed one in our shop and I learned really quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's the key with using robots for automation is that it's easy and flexible because then it allows you to do lower quantity part runs because it's more flexible because it's easy. Cool. Michael, so you're the VP over work holding and the tool holding. Yep. But you have a different org chart for automation. So how does Shunk, how does the Shunk automation team work with the Shunk work holding team to support both of these products? That's a great question. I so, did not write it. My friend Nick did. <laughs> you, you read I it just, very authentically. Yes. <laughs> well, it's actually it, the reason we do that, the reason we all segment our product lines and, and our support structures is so that we can become experts on the products and experts so that we can support our end user base better, right? right. But it can also provide barriers and, and class. So we work very closely. So we have the automation and the tooling work holding teams the sales channels are separated. The reason the sales channels are separated is because you can imagine that... The needs are different. Yeah, everyone... So on the tooling, workholding side, it's mostly metal cutting, you know, people with mills and lathes. But automation is actually much larger than that. You have people who are doing packaging, assembling, and so on. So we need to have different sales channels. But internally, we collaborate together with the application engineers. We have two different teams, automation, tooling, workholding, the application engineers work very closely together. But we all know it's just as important. The workholding part is just as important as the tool holding part, right? Minimize chatter because if you have a poor workholding setup or your tool is being held poorly, everything's going to break apart in a matter of time, right? Yeah. You want to maximize your tool life by having optimum work holding and optimum tool holding. That's the fundamentals in machining, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we've, a lot of us, we've traditionally focused on optimizing the machining process and, and the tool, right? Speed, and feed, speed, all that. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. When in reality, that's why we talk about competition. Who do we compete with? The status quo. That's because it's, there's so much untapped potential with having the right work holding. It's just, we don't even compete that much. It, right, we right. don't need to because all we need to do is just get everybody to be thinking about their work holding because you can make 30%, 50% gains in your spindle efficiency and your yes. spindle uptime, yep. machine utilization yep. rate, whatever you want to call it, just by investing in the right work holding. Yep. And you can make gains with speed and feed adjustments too, but I agree with you. I see so much more opportunity in the setup side of things. In yeah. work holding. Yeah. Well, and it depends on the scope of the manufacturer, sure. you know, like quantities well, and stuff Well, again, like, like if yeah. you're... Uh, like for Jim, it's absolutely a huge difference. If you're like a transfer line where it's just high production and you make a speed and feed adjustment, it can make yeah, a huge you, difference. You cut, yeah, 10 seconds out of cycle time and you've made a lot of money. Yeah, millions of dollars. And work holding has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years too, especially since 5-axis has been the norm nowadays. Because the way we think about approaching machining a part is completely different than it was 15, 20 years ago, for sure. Mm-hmm. So with this concept, the machine tool is actually driving you, the work holding people, to help us become better at creating the part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for example, and I'm not going to speak too much about Michael's world, but we work very closely together. Sure. So 
one of the chunk systems works pneumatically with the Vero S system. And right. so, so if you're going to use that, you need the machine to be designed to receive the air. Now you can do it externally from outside of the machine, but in many cases it's better if it can go like through the table and you have your machine designed w- with that in mind. So in many ways, the, the machine tool advances kind of trigger what we're going to do next as the OEMs, right? Yep. 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 Exactly. So when you were talking about work holding and tool holding a second ago, yep. Jim, and then, you know, obviously things need to be rigid and we need to optimize speeds and feeds and all that, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the automation side. The automation side is, okay, so something automatic, a robot is going to grab the workpiece or grab the vice and load the machine. Shunk, you don't make robots. No. We do make a robot used for a very specific use case, but we're mostly a component supplier. But you're not, you're not UR or Kawasaki or Fanuc or anything like that. So has Shunk ever considered getting into robots or are you just content to be partners who focus on the end effector or the work holding or whatever with the robotics companies? Yeah, I think we found a pretty good niche for ourselves as a component supplier who gets really in the weeds on solutions and providing more than just components. Ultimately, at our core, we're a component supplier. Yeah. And we have a lot of really good partners who we come together with to provide complete solutions. And we do a lot of solutions on our own as well, integrating our components. But that's more of our niche. It's almost like kind of the question, well, have you ever considered selling cutting tools, right? Right, right, (laughs) exactly. Or we sell components for the the inside of a spindle, but we don't want to make spindles because I don't want my biggest customers to now become my biggest competitors. It it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, there's a lot of partners out there that we prefer just to work closely with. Sure, okay. That makes sense. Okay, so... The ultimate question. The ultimate question. This is a philosophical question. Yes. We're coming deep into our core. Do we dovetail workpieces or do we not dovetail workpieces when we're clamping? And before you answer that, so of course, this is a largely practiced operation what we do in our shops right now, right? And I'm old school. I never did that when I was running a machine. But I see the reasons why now, and we do it. I would guess about 70% of the jobs that we run through our shop is dovetailed first. It's our op 50. It's our very first stop that we do. On your five axis jobs or all jobs? All jobs. Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. It really makes a big difference. And it took me a while to really understand the benefits, but I want to hear what you say first, and maybe we can have that discussion. So there's a lot of benefits to dovetail. To keep it easy to talk through it, I just let's focus on five axis machining. Of right? course, yes. Because that way, some of the biggest benefits of dovetail are that you have really good part access. So you have great accessibility to part for all five sides. Because we're talking five axis, you make sure that you're achieving the capability of that five axis machine, right? That's critical. And then the other is that it's quite a rigid setup because you're actually getting a mechanical grasp on the part. Now, the downside, is that you've introduced an additional operation to the part that you don't even really need to do otherwise. It's really quick. Yeah, sure. It's really quick. But yes, it's you've got to handle it again. That's why I don't we don't focus on dovetail for ourselves, but there is a ton of value in it. And I had nothing bad to say about it because it brings a lot of value and it works really well. Right. We have a lot of people coming to us to talk about how they can remove that operation if they're trying to save a machine or something like that. Because so I'll talk about the flip side, right? Not doing it. Not doing dovetail, right? So you put it in a vise, either with that has like little you gotta gri- have the grip hardened knife. gripping yeah. and embedded in hardened in ground uh, hard jaws. 
Yeah. Right. And that's the only way you're going to be successful. If you right. want to use a traditional vice, you've got to have grip teeth that are, and you have to have a vice that's biting into the material. Yes. Enough. You have to have a vice that has enough clamp force. Right. Because if you do that with grip teeth and you're biting into the material, it means that you're creating that mechanical hold. Yep. And that's what you have with dovetails. So if you're not biting into the material enough, you're not getting that mechanical hold. Plus two, I see the benefits of the dovetail is that piece of material is completely free. So when you're cutting it, all the stresses in the material are relieved immediately. Whether if you're clamping in a vise and you cut all the way around and then you release, the stresses are going to make that piece bow too. Whereas you're holding down here and everything about the part, most of it, the stresses are being relieved in the non-clamped position. The dovetail's holding it just at the bottom of the part. So that's what I see as another big benefit too. I mean, you're you're shaking your head. Well, Am I, yeah, I, I, do you I'm think I'm convinced. crazy? No, no. I'm, okay. I, I, of course not. I okay. think because we all have our own experiences. And so I would never argue against that. Right. What I think about is that if you're clamping with a vice and you're clamping on that bottom piece, I don't think you're introducing any crazy stresses into the work piece with a mechanical vice that's biting into an eighth of an inch. I see your point. Mm -hmm. I don't think that those vice that those stresses you're creating with the vice are going to be significant to cause any movement of the material. The machining, I would say the machining is introducing more stresses than than the vice itself. Okay. But you don't believe that think about stock removal on all five of those sides. Yeah. I still think that if you're in a traditional vice and you're just clamping and holding that part, you've got that whole horizontal surface, which is parallel to the top surface that you're cutting. And when you do finally release the vise, I believe, in my opinion, in my experience, is that there's, it tends to be a little bit more bowing after you've cut rather than holding it in the dovetail position. Because it's kind of like, I think the dovetail too is kind of augmenting the way the stresses go out of it too. You see what I mean? I think it just all depends on this, how the material starts, like the blank, and also what you're machining. Because I think that's going to... Oh, yeah, well... I think that's because it depends how much material you remove that... Because there are certain scenarios I could see that certainly... Material removal, alloy, how you're doing it, shell mill, end mill, yes. All of those things. If it's a big six inch by six inch cube, I think it's not going to have as much impact as if it, the part's only an inch Core tall. Inch, yes. Because yes, then yes. you're bowing the part a little bit when you're clamping. Yeah, I could see that. And what I've kind of arrived at with this dovetail or not dovetail thing is there's no right answer all the time. No, there isn't. So obviously the benefit to not dovetailing is you don't have an additional operation of cutting the dovetail. The Your operation 0.5 or whatever, right? Op 50. 50. We call it op 50. Sure. So you don't have that. So if you're thinking lean, it's how do we reduce operations so we can just have things move faster. Right. That's the obvious benefit. Yes. Now, now then there's obvious benefits to dovetailing, and you've listed a lot of those. So Well, strength, rigidity, because you're holding on more surface. But I think that it is kind of an application by application basis. And what I would encourage manufacturing leaders to do is not just get locked into one way and only think about do it doing whatever you're doing one way, because that's how we've always done it. That's back to the status quo that we don't want to deal with all and the time. And I think you've gotten some of that actually with dovetail and five axis. Dovetail in some ways has become the status quo. Sure. Yeah. And so yes. all I'd ask is same as you is just think outside. Just come the back to first principles and make sure it's necessary. Yeah. 
pick what's right for your application, your shop. Sure. Yeah. So let's, now let's get outside of like the inside of a machine tool for a second. And uh, I want to ask you a question that I deal with too. So we're both young leaders. So we have many people that we lead, manage, and hold accountable that are honestly old enough to be our parents. So how do you personally navigate those dynamics with humility without losing any authority? You have to maintain the fact that you're an authority, you're a vice president of the company, but at the same time, they're your elders. So how do you lead your <laughs> elders, man? Well, I think you have to earn the respect first. And I think that's critical is that you have to give respect and you also have to give respect and you also eventually will get respect. Right on, yeah. You made the key point is humility. And you have to balance humility with ego too because you have to have a little bit of ego too to lead people. Not in a bad way, but you have to be confident in what you're doing and ready to step up. But I think if you just always treat everybody as people and kind of listen to them and give respect first, then you get respect in return. Sure. You know, sometimes you have to be decisive and make a decision. But when you have a respect and a humility for, hey, Jim has 70 years experience in this industry. Just about, right? yeah. <laughs> so all jokes aside, there's a lot of things that you've been through that I n- haven't. And right. you've decades more experience than I will. So even if there was a situation where I was your boss, right? And I would come to you and say, here's what I think we should do. I want to hear your thoughts. Maybe you could change what decision we make because of your experience. But at the end of the day, the fundamentals of machining are still the same as they were 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Sure. The yeah. fundamentals are never going to change, but it's the way that we adopt them. Right. And evolutionize that through work holding, through tool holding, mm-hmm. and through automation. That's what's going to change. Everything around the fundamentals is changing. Sure. And that's where we're going to get the best bang for the buck. And you got to keep an open mind, I think. Yes. Right. That's, yes. that's the thing. To your point, you know, if you're leading someone who's had 70 years experience in the industry. Well, first, why don't you start by asking them what they think about what your idea is, right? Like, sure. hey, I have this crazy idea. Is this crazy or tell me just how crazy yeah, I it get, is? Yeah, I, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of that. Like, this is probably crazy. Tell me if you agree. Yeah, that's <laughs> actually, those are exa- my exact words in many occasions. <laughs> yeah. Michael, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and you've definitely given me a lot to think about and learn and I hope that we can have you back on sometime again to talk about yeah, different Yeah, I'd be topic. happy to do it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. At the end of the day, guys, everything we talked about today, with whether it be leadership or automation or work holding or tool holding. Or dovetailing. Or well, dovetailing. You know what, Nick? If you're not holding your parts. You're not making chips. And if you're not making chips. You're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.